your boy DM3, and you're listening to Pandemonium with Mike Lindsley on the Buffalo Bills, exclusively on the Built to Buffalo Podcast Network. What's up, Bills Mafia? Mike Lindsley here, your host of the Pandemonium Podcast. Make sure that you follow our network all over the social media platforms, including Twitter, at BuiltInBuffalo underscore. Let's get right to it. There's a lot to talk about with the upcoming NFL draft. The combine is going on. Uh, of course, the St. John Fisher thing is in play. Uh, the new stadium deal uh, to be signed is in play. There's a lot going on, and nobody is better at talking about it than this guy, Mike Catalana, at Mike Catalana, the 13 Wham and Fox Rochester sports director. He is a Buffalo Bills insider and reporter. Mikey, welcome aboard, bud. How are you? Good. Everything's uh, going well. It's the uh, offseason in full swing right now. Boy, it really is. Let's start with the training camp situation. Is this thing close? Is it a done deal that they're going to come back to St. John Fisher? I know you were all over that from the beginning. Yeah, it's not a done deal. And in fact, uh, you know, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott both uh, confirmed what we had reported, that they're in talks with Fisher again about coming back. What the interesting part is the contract ran out um, over these two years when they couldn't go there. So it became a discussion about that. And look, let's be honest, I've said this from the beginning, the Bills could get out of that contract. They wouldn't want to have bailed on Fisher, but they could have. But it did run out, and I'm sure there would have been some financial compensation for Fisher if they just wanted to move on. But they haven't done that. They're still in talks. And Bean said, look, and we all know this, they do have great facilities in Orchard Park. But I do believe both of these guys at their core like that, get the guys away for a few weeks, um, part of building a team. And maybe, you know, I I think it was, you know, McDermott talking about sort of like a rebranding coming into this year. Um, you know, coming off the tough loss that they did. So they're in discussions. Uh, it is definitely not a done deal, but I still think there's a very good chance it's going to happen, mainly because, like I said, if they really want it out, and and I and I, by the way, the other thing, Mike, I want to stress to people is this is not the old days of the Bills. This is not a marketing decision. This is a football decision based on McDermott and B. The Pagulas will do whatever they want them to do. This is in their purview to get it taken care of. If they didn't want to come, I think it wouldn't even be a discussion right now. So I know some fans think it goes back to the days of the, uh, the drought. And I tell everybody, yeah, it was a drought back then because you had lousy quarterbacks, poor coaching and bad draft picks. That's why it was a drought, not necessarily because they trained at St. John Fisher. Okay. Next up. How about the new stadium uh, signed, sealed and delivered here? How soon before that happens? Yeah, it sounds like the money thing is what's happening next. And look, uh, uh, I'm not tooting our own horn here, but we were the ones that had that story first, too, that they were going to build an Orchard Park and it was going to be an outdoor stadium. And I heard from a lot of people back then upset about both counts of it. And there's the reality of what they want to do. Look, yes, there's options to build in the city. I've been told by people that that is not a great option. And the Pagulas are heavily invested in the city of Buffalo. Not a great option logistically, and it was a more expensive option getting things together. And look, here's the way it works. The Pagulas are going to put in about $400 bucks to this. The rest of it is coming from the state. That's what happens. And, you know, I've had people say to me, well, why don't they just pay for it? Because they don't need to. That's life in the NFL, unless you're building the type of stadium 
where you want full control of it all year long. You know, a Jerry Jones type deal that he's got in Dallas. You know, some of those work. Um, they're not going to build a dome. They're not going to build in the city. It's going to be an orchard park. And I think based on what we're hearing, I had heard a few months ago, the money was there. But as you know, Mike, it takes politics to get that money mm-hmm. assigned. And it's the whole world is politics. Uh, I think it's going to get announced within the next week to two weeks. And it's going to be full steam ahead building outdoor stadium in Orchard Park. Wow. All right. Uh, we're talking some Bills uh, football here with Mike Catalana, our good buddy, at Mike Catalana on Twitter. Uh, at Wham, uh, 13 Wham and Fox, Rochester sports director, and of course, uh, a Bills insider. Uh, he's covered over 500 Bills games in his career. Um, Mike, do you, is the, what's the number? Do you have the exact number? Is it 530? Is it 590? No, are are we know, getting to funny. 600? That's Mike, my question. I went through, you know, <laughs> my daughters put together something for me a while ago where I had my old press credentials. And, you know, I don't save a lot of memorabilia, yeah. but I had a lot of that stuff. Sure. And as you know, it goes back to the days of, you know, I have, you know, Syracuse basketball playoffs and all this kind of stuff. It was just paper passes that didn't even have my name on it or it was written or yeah. written incorrectly. Even the Super Bowls were strange, too, now where everything's a digitized credential. And I was looking through them one day and then I started to go through as best I could remember in my mind the years when I traveled with the team. I was on the radio network, the years where we had done a percentage of road games. You know, I did 20 years of the preseason games, too, which is another, you know, four games a year for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, slightly less than that. We had a couple of network games. So it was a lot of games. But it's including the playoffs. It's it's pretty considerably over 500 now. All right. What are they doing in the draft? You think could you see them moving up, moving down, yeah. staying put? What, what, where do you where do you see them going? What position do you think they target? You know, it's interesting. I definitely think an aggressive move would be to go up to get a guy. And we talked about this before about, you know, when you start building a roster, there's that whole all-in mentality. Yes, but there's something between all-in mortgaging your future and being aggressive. And I don't think Brandon Bean is at all afraid of being aggressive and moving in the draft. And you go back to the year before he took over, 17, when, let's be honest, McDermott was running the draft with some of the scouts, you know, when Doug Whaley was technically still there, um, they went corner with Trey White, and then they went Dion and Zay Jones in the second round. Um, they haven't drafted a corner since then that high, and they haven't drafted a wide receiver that high. Uh, actually, any skill guys they took, you know, uh, outside of Josh Allen, they didn't take the running backs they took were in the third round. Um, I think there is a need for a wide receiver on this roster. Uh, I think there's a turnover at wide receiver come, and there's a lot of good ones in this draft. And it just seems to be every year more of these guys come into the league um, that are ready to play and ready to contribute. And I could absolutely see them being aggressive. If it means tossing in another draft pick to move up, I could see him doing that. That being said, they also have a need at corner. Uh, I mean, Trey White's coming off a knee. We don't know what's going to happen with Levi Wallace. You know, he's probably going to get offers elsewhere for more money than the Bills are willing to spend. And everybody says things about, you know, Dane Jackson, nice player and all, but, you know, he didn't beat Levi out in his time in Orchard Park. Do they like him? Yeah. Will he be on the roster? Yeah. But there's a need to go and get a guy for that secondary. So I think those are two positions of 
two areas of big need. And yes, I could absolutely see him being aggressive and moving up to get a guy. You know, the corner position, I, I think, would be the one that does make the most sense. But the problem is, I think a lot of these guys are going to get eaten up, you know, in the first 15, 16 picks, Mike. Yeah. I really do. I mean, Sauce Gardner of Cincinnati, and let's face it, that would be perfect in Buffalo, right? With the Buffalo Wings, Sauce Gardner. I mean, that would be pretty right. That would be pretty great. Um, you know, you see the kid Stingley Jr., maybe uh, yeah. Trent McDuffie from Washington. I just think... I just think all these corners are probably going to be gone. And at that point, if the Bills stay where they are, it'll be either, hey, we're going to draft the best player available, as they say, or, you know, we're going to go for another area where we can deepen a unit like wide receiver. If yep. the rate, you know, maybe a Drake London falls, I doubt it, but maybe he's there. Um, you know, so that that's kind of how I see it going. It, what about the front line of the defense? You know, they have a lot of nice players. Ed Oliver kind of had a little bit of a coming out party last year. What about going that direction again? Edge and yeah. D tech? Because you just, we've seen it the last two Super Bowls. You can't have enough of it. You can't have enough. They have invested a lot in that line. Um, I could see them maybe looking more into free agency okay. in terms of that D line. And it's going to be interesting what they do. You know, Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes, like, you, it's the numbers aren't pretty for the type of production. And when I say production, we're getting the quarterback to the ground, forcing him into making mistakes. Like they're not getting enough of that on the outside. They just haven't. And they do need an impactful player there. But, you know, look, Rousseau showed a lot. Boogie Basham is a guy. You talk about, you know, the way Bean operates. He stuck to his board there and took another defensive lineman, mm -hmm. and he's spent a lot of draft picks on that. Uh, would he do it again? He even addressed that and said, you know, I stick to my board, and if that's the guy, you can't have enough, just like you said. I don't know if they would do that in the first round. I mean, the board's what the board is, but um, I just think, you know, it's funny. When we go through all those wide receivers, we go through all those um, corners, and you know what might end up happening. Another quarterback or two could pop its way into the first round the way teams are in the NFL. I think Bean's going to be there. I think he's going to have guys he really wants. And that's why I said possibility is to move up, and I think he would absolutely consider doing it for those two positions. The combine is going on right now. Yeah. What do you think is – look, you could be a playoff contender looking to take the next step in contemporary championship. You could be in the cellar trying to rebuild and get moving. You could be a team that's on the fringe of the playoffs and trying to make it. There, whatever the situation is, what do you think the overall common goal is for an NFL team at the Combine? You know, the biggest thing I found is, you know, fans sitting at home watching would say, they they see, what do you see? You're a fan. You see guys running sprints. You see guys lifting weights. All that stuff, it's fine. I really believe the goal here is twofold goal. One, there's a lot of talk with agents. It goes on. Uh, it's not necessarily tampering, but there are agents with multiple clients. You cannot tell me there aren't conversations. A GM could be having, pick a player, Isaiah McKenzie, you know, Levi Wallace, guys who are going to be free agents. You can talk to their agent now. Does that agent have other clients? Can they give you parameters of what would be looking for? This stuff goes on. Uh, they talk about legal tampering. I do believe that happens. One and two, they absolutely want to get to know these players. Mm. And they do have an opportunity here. This goes on. Players talk about it all the time. They meet with 
wide receiver coaches. They meet with offensive coordinators. They meet with the head coach. One of the, I think it was Alave from Ohio State said he came in. They had him on the doing doing uh, plays on the board and talking to him, talking to a group of people. Um, it's an up close and personal. They get time with them. It's like speed dating a little bit, but they get like, I think it's 15 minutes yeah. with a player. Very important. It's when they sort of try to get a comfort level with these guys and then they add that into the mix. So I think every team tries to do that. Some do it better. And by the way, I did want to mention, listening to Joe Shane, the former assistant GM now with the Giants, describe what he's trying to put in with the Giants, where we're talking about using analytics and technology. If anybody gets a chance to listen to that, that's some insight into the way the Bills operate. I've never heard Bean talk about it, but Shane talked about it, knowing this is what was done in Buffalo and using technology. uh, Pretty fascinating. And I think the Bills have been in the forefront of a lot of that stuff, and it certainly helped them on the field. Couple more from Mike Catalana at Mike Catalana on Twitter, of course. Thirteen Wham and Fox Rochester Sports Director, Buffalo Bills Insider and Reporter. I'm glad you brought Joe Shane up because I was going to go there next um, <clears throat> with him and Brian Dable. What direction do you think they're going to take uh, to to rebuild one of the trademark franchises? And and, and as a side note. Um, maybe there's a trade opportunity there with the Bills, right? I mean, if the Bills are looking to move some players with money, maybe maybe a Feliciano could be a candidate, for example, or someone uh, going to the Giants, right? Potential trip. Hey, maybe they're the new Carolina, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think because of the familiarity with the coaching staff and the general manager, that, that it's going to happen. If I'm the Giants and I'm trying to put my stamp on this, yeah. there's going to be players I bring in. The Bills did that with Carolina. Truth is, if you look at the what they got out of those guys, it wasn't all that impactful on the field. But I do believe in those first years, you want guys to be there to help you implement what you're going to do. And then you find sometimes better players to actually execute it when it's in there. Um, you know, Shane and Bean are, you know, golfing buddies. They talk about it all the time. So, you know, maybe, uh, you know, helps get some strokes uh, on the golf course uh, down the line if you make a deal together. Absolutely, I can see that. And I think about when Bean and McDermott came in with the Bills, even though the draft had already passed that first year, they took a lot of the guys that were there, they pieced it together, and that very mediocre team ended up breaking the drought and making the playoffs, which was, we know that team. And then the rebuild continued, and they went out and got the quarterback. Uh, look, the NFC East is not particularly strong or hasn't been, even though there were two playoff teams last year. Who knows what Dayball can do and Shane can do with the Giants. Maybe they get something and more out of Daniel Jones. I think it's more fact-finding now, figuring out what they have, putting in their systems. But the Giants have gotten it wrong for a while. And in my personal belief, those two guys is a major step towards getting it right. Who do you blame most for the loss in Kansas City during the playoffs? You know what? Um, I give McDermott this. Took full blame at Combine. You know, he he stopped short of that a little bit earlier. And we laughed and said, man, it's like, you know, it's like when we have talked to players like Saran Neal. Like, they just don't talk about what happened. But part of them not talking about it is telling us what happened. Like, let's I use an example. If they were supposed to kick it through the end zone and that was the plan, and look, you could argue and say, yes, it takes a few seconds away. They might have said, with 13 seconds left, 
we believed kick it through the end zone, play defense, we win the game. We didn't want to risk kicking out of bounds. We didn't want whatever. I don't agree with it, but they could have said that. Mm-hmm. Nobody said that. They just basically said, we aren't saying anything. So something went haywire there. Whether that was communication from the coordinator, no one is telling anybody. Did Tyler Bass just screw up? I don't know. Maybe at some point we talked to him, but they don't want to say anything. And defensively, look, McDermott, it's Leslie Frazier's defense. He made that clear. But McDermott overall (laughs) is the head coach. So who's to blame? Well, it starts with McDermott because overall you can say what you want about executing and communication. That's what you stress all the time. And in the biggest moment, if that failed, that that's on the head coach. I don't think it was one simple thing. Like, I, I mean, the kickoff contributed the defense horrendous on those two plays. And then once it hit overtime, they seemed to be shot. So I'll start by saying McDermott first and foremost, because he has to, and he's the coach and he's the overriding defensive boss. And they played, I, I don't know what they did on defense on those two plays. Yeah. To set up the field goal. With two timeouts for the Chiefs. That's the other thing. They played basically a prevent and guarded the sidelines so they wouldn't go out of bounds. They didn't I have mean, to go out of bounds. What are you doing? Kansas City has two two timeouts. And if it was in scramble mode, sure. I could almost understand it. Me too. It was a kickoff. There was a time after the touchdown. There was a timeout and another timeout. Like it was we can get our act together here. Because the clock was stopped, because the, the Chiefs had stopped the clock. So the clock is stopped. I mean, like, you could very legitimately make sure everybody's on the same page. By the way, you have Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer on the field. Mm-hmm. Like, if it, but did it, was it one player? I mean, are we going to believe that Levi just didn't get the call? Uh, he's been around this league, he's been around big games playing at Alabama. You, you kind of know. But they played it. I will say this. The Tyree kill the first play, good call, good design to get yardage. The quick screen was smart. But the second play was the easiest pitch and catch that Kelsey and Mahomes had the entire game. That should never have happened. I would have. I know people have told me you can get a penalty and based on the rule, I'd have tackled, I'd have tackled Kelsey and um Hill coming off the line of scrimmage, taking the five-yard penalty, wasted five seconds, and forced him to have one play and and make a decision on you know throwing a hail mary. No they doubt, didn't do that either. So I'm going to say McDermott first and foremost. He's the he's the head coach. He gets the blame. All right. Final thing. What side of the fence do you land on more? The the side where it's hey, you know what? Tough loss. They still have the foundation. They've got number 17. They have Bean and McDermott. They have a roster full of great players. This is still a Super Bowl-made team. And the window is still as open as it was, you know, during the playoff game and the playoff loss to KC. Or are you on the other side more where it's, man, you know what? They they lost to Jacksonville during the regular season and, and that Tennessee game where Allen slipped and Dawkins got blown up. They went against Tennessee. They get the home field. They beat the Jags. I mean, you know, that was going to probably come back to bite them. And yet, after all of that, they got away with it because if they had just beaten Kansas City, they would have hosted the AFC Championship game against Cincinnati. Now, granted, the Bengals could have gone in and won in Buffalo as well. But, I, you know, Bill's Orchard Park, you know, so starving uh, Bill's Mafia to, 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 to be there. I think Buffalo would have won that game. Now, 
do you do you land on that side where oh boy you know like the window just closed a little bit and they really blew the opportunity where, where are you at if you had to hop hop the fence okay, and i'm i'm not hedging you know i have opinions but i'm going to say both because the window is still open you have josh allen you have talent you have outstanding coaching front office all those things are still strong i mean it's a t- it's tough because the conference is minefields yeah. you know oh. but that being said was set up for him. Set up for him. Cincinnati opened the door when they rested guys the last week. The Bills were ahead of them, which would have eventually given them home field. They had Kansas City beat on the road. You have to win that game. And I'm going to tell you, the Bills are better than the Bengals, and they're better than the Rams, and they would have won the Super Bowl. I mean, I... Rams deserve all the credit in the world. I wasn't impressed with them very much at all in the playoffs, and they won the Super Bowl. I mean, give them credit, but... You know, they struggled in these games and got by. That's what they did. The Bills should have won. They blew it as a team in general. But going forward, you st- you have Josh Allen, who is, again, he was the best player in the playoffs. He only got two shots at it, and he was phenomenal in both games. So you're still the best team. You're the best team in your division. The window is still there. But, boy, when you get those opportunities. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, I've done this a long time. My first playoff game with the Bills was at Cleveland. The year after they went to the AFC Championship game, they lost a heartbreaking game in Cleveland. It was a really good Bills team that was just starting with the no-huddle offense, the K-gun. And they found something there in that game after a rough year that was bickering Bills. And they came back after that devastating loss, and they went to four straight Super Bowls. Now, I'm not predicting four straight Super Bowls, but I'm saying is there was a lull down before it went back up again. And I think they're in a position to do that next year. Well said. Buffalo Bills insider, reporter, 13 Wham, Fox Rochester uh, sports director, Mike Catalana on Twitter. Give him a follow at Mike Catalana. Mike, I love our chats. Thanks so much and continued success, man. Yeah, anytime, Mike. And you can, uh, anybody who wants to hear any of our stuff, we also have our YouTube channel. We call it Buffalo Plus. It's gone really well where people have been, Happy we can do bills, basically 365, uh, and we do as much as we can. So we call it Buffalo Plus. So if you get a chance to check us out, do that. This is the Pandemonium Podcast presented by the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. I'm Mike Lindsley. Hit us all over social media. At Built in Buffalo underscore is the handle on Twitter. I'm at Mike L Sports on Twitter. Thanks again to Mike Catalana from Rochester talking Buffalo Bills. Man, there was a lot to get to, and he covered it A to Z exactly how I thought he would, perfectly. Thanks for listening. As I always tell you, enjoy the games. (laughs) 